Um, it is great to be with you this morning. I have uh, spent a couple of days uh, with our youth and our Bible quizzing team down at Covenant Acres Camp and uh, came back last night so I could be with you this morning. Um, but I'm excited to report some really good uh, results. Uh, I'll wait until our kids get back, but I can tell you they did really, really well. Represented New Hope really, really well in our conference, and um, we have some exciting things to be uh, looking forward to. They're getting ready for their national tournament. Uh, they'll be heading to Michigan uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, well, at the end of June, and uh, they, they're going to do well. They're going to do really well at the national tournament. So um, I, won't give you, I won't give it away because I want them to be here, but uh, they did really well yesterday. So we're excited about that, and uh, I'm just glad to be back here with you this morning. Um, I'm going to uh, speak this morning uh, kind of in the same theme that I spoke last week. Uh, last week we uh, started a series where we were talking about what it means to be a friend of God. And uh, today I'm going to pick up with that theme and uh, this title is, He Knows My Name. So let's pray as we get uh, prepared for this this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you for the, the good things that are happening all around us. We thank you for the challenges and we thank you for the good times. We thank you, Lord Jesus, because in all of it, you are with us. Your presence, available, guiding us, always there, always near. We thank you for the invitation to be called our friends. Our friend. We thank you, Lord. We praise you today. We honor you. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You heard a couple of these scriptures read for you already this morning. We'll just reread a, a couple of them. Isaiah 43.1 says this, But now, this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, He who formed you, Israel, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. And you are mine. And over in John, we heard read for us, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. God knows us by name. He has called us friends. Friends know each other by name, don't they? Acquaintances, maybe. Passers-by once in a while, if you've seen them a few times. But friends, definitely. If you don't know my name and I don't know your name, we might not be in that kind of relationship, right? Anybody remember this TV show, anybody go back a few years, 1982 to 1993, and uh, I had a hard time finding a picture that didn't have some kind of alcohol in it that would not go well in the Free Methodist Church, but, but Cheers, right? The Cheers, the, the, the theme song, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad that you came. You want to be where people can see. The troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. You want to go where people know. 
The people are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. I wish that was the theme song of the church and not Cheers, right? Isn't that the truth, right? Like, you want to go where everybody knows your name, where the people are all the same. And, and I think it's such a great image. Sadly, it's the world's image of a, of a TV show, but uh, we can work hard to maybe reclaim that for the church. Because I think the concept is quite profound. There's a bonding that happens when people know you well enough and call you by name. Think of a best friend or an old roommate, or think of a mom support group, or an addiction recovery group, or family that's connected with that. Think about the familiarity and the connection that happens in those settings. The walls start to come down just a little bit. The responses sometimes can actually make us even a little bit vulnerable which then leads to a responsibility to steward that relationship just a little bit more carefully, doesn't it? It becomes our responsibility to care for a friendship. It's the same sort, I want you to think about that, it's the same sort of invitation to be known, to be loved, to be cared for, that was put forth by God, that we see represented in the life and the relationship that he had with somebody in the Old Testament by the name of Abraham. God called Abraham. He gave Abraham an opportunity to trust and to believe. And then he eventually affirmed Abraham with a new name. And eventually he called him a friend. We learned last week, if you were here, we learned last week that Abraham was called a friend of God. I don't know if you remember uh, why he was called a friend of God, though. Anybody remember? Remember this verse? The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. But what did Abraham actually believe God about. Now, some of you might know a little bit about the story of Abraham, and you might remember that Abraham was called by God to leave his family and to leave his area and go to a new place, a place that God would show him, right? Some of you are familiar with that story. We, we start learning about Abraham in Genesis, which is the very first book of the Bible, and in Genesis chapter 11. In fact, when we first meet Abraham, his name is Abram. No ham, Abram, right? And so he's Abram, he's called by God, he's called to go to a place that God would show him to leave his family. And if you're not a careful student of the scripture, you might stop there. And you might say, well, that's why he's credited with righteousness, because he left God and went to a place God would show him. But that's not actually where we learn about this particular reference to Abraham being God's friend. At least not the biblical idea of this. His obedience, for sure, it did start with going where he was told to go. That was a very obedient thing to do. But the second part of the promise that God gave him is actually where this reference comes into play. Let me read for you in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. It says this, I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. 
I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The problem with that particular promise is that his wife was barren. His wife couldn't have children. So Abraham is kind of hearing this promise, and he's thinking about this, and sure, he leaves his family, he goes to the land of Canaan, he, he sets up his family there, and, but he knows, he knows that his wife is barren, he has to kind of wrestle with this. There is no way for him to have any kids. With no heir, his name would eventually die. No greatness, no blessing. He had no way of knowing that God would accomplish or how God would accomplish his vision through him. But he goes. He goes with this echo of a promise in his heart and he settles in the land. And we know from study that he's about 75 years old in this little interaction. About 75 years old. His wife's about nine years younger than him. But imagine, if you're given a promise that you can't comprehend, imagine how your brain starts to work a little overtime, right? You start to think about all the different ways this could happen, and you start to think about all the things you know, and all the things, the ways that you want to see it come into play. His idea, Abraham's idea, was a common custom of the day, and that custom was that he would tap his servant. His servant was named Eliezer. And when you couldn't have children and there was no heir to your family, you would tap somebody that you trusted, a, a close servant, and you would make them kind of your, your next in line, your kin, and they would become your heir. So at least by custom, that's what Abraham's thinking here. It wouldn't be a bloodline for sure, but it would be a common practice to honor the family and honor the family name. So he goes and... He's thinking this through and he's tapped Eleazar and a few years have gone by and we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 15 verses 4 through 6. He says this, uh, this is after several years and says, Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. He's now talking about Eleazar. But a son, a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. You can imagine Abraham looking up at all the stars and he's like, one, two, three. This is ridiculous. And that's like what God says. Yeah, this is ridiculous, right? So shall your offspring be. Abraham then, and only then, believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So it wasn't about leaving the land. It wasn't about leaving the family. It wasn't about his obedience up to that. It was about the fact that in this impossible situation, I can't have a, a family, I can't have a line and heir, I can't be blessed. In this impossible situation, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now remember, we still know Abraham here, Genesis 15, as Abram. He's still Abram to us. Genesis 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, even 16. He's Abram. 
his belief in the impossible was credited to him as righteousness. He doesn't know how God's going to do this, but he believes God. And God then confirms it. If you read a little bit later in Genesis 15, God confirms it with a covenant, an oath. But God waits. God waits. He doesn't bring the air that night. He doesn't bring the air that year. He doesn't bring the air for a really long time. Remember, his wife is barren. He can't have kids. He doesn't know how this is happening. He has a promise. And he has an impossible mountain to climb. And therefore, he has a choice. Do I believe? Do I continue to believe? Or do I take things into my own hands and help God out? Because, you know, like this is a partnership, right? God might need a little bit of support from me, right? I got to do my thing. He's got to do his thing. I got to do my part, right? We, we kind of, there's, there's some references to that, right? But, hmm. I don't know if anybody here can relate to this scenario. Your faith is riding super high, right? You've had that encounter. You've, you've had a situation where God has even maybe spoken to you or you felt like he's spoken to you or, or maybe somebody's spoken into your life and your faith is riding super high. You've got these promises that, that have been spoken over you and, and then he forces you to wait. Or he just doesn't act right away. It's not even that he's forcing you to wait. He just, he just doesn't do his thing and we're, we're left to question, like, what's that about? What's that about, God? Like, you just, you spoke all this. Let's do it. Let's get it on, right? Let's go. And God waits. And as you read some commentaries about this particular story, you'll read that scholars speculate as to what's happening in the life of Abraham. And this. And so, you know, we're left to, we can speculate a little bit as well. So here's some, some speculation. But I think these are worthy of our consideration. Was Abraham believing in God? Or in what God had done for him? Was he believing in God for who God was? Or just in what God was doing for him? Was Abraham trusting God for God's purposes? Or was Abraham trusting God to make him great? Hmm. In other words, was it about Abram or was it about God? You see, it's pretty cool when God promises to make us great. Right? That's pretty cool. God promises some things and like, yeah, this is cool. And then, very easily, we can make the mistake that it's actually about us. Hmm. God wants to make me great and it's about me and my name and my heir and my bloodline and the blessing that's going to be coming. In reality, the promise was actually about God, wasn't it? About God's family, about God's heritage, about this relationship that God was going to have with His people. 
Would Abram resort to what made sense? To what he knew? Like the custom of tapping a servant to become his heir? In other words, okay, I can have faith in you, God, just as long as I can make sense of of how it's all supposed to work out. But is that really faith? Don't you think that God knows how we think? Abram, in this story, means the father is exalted. It's a pretty cool name. The Father is exalted. Except that in this particular story, in this particular name, uh, it was in reference to a cult. His family had belonged to a cult that worshipped the moon. His father actually worshipped other gods. We read about that in Joshua and that makes reference to Terah and the worshipping of many gods. And Abram's name was related to the worship of the moon god. And his name was an attempt to exalt that pagan deity. You see, God knew Abram. He knew his family history. He knew the customs that Abram would resort to. And he knew the promises that he had made to Abram. And he knew what what it might take to get those promises to come to reality. God knew that Abram's wife was barren. It's not a logical choice for a future kingdom, is it? God knows. God had to work some things out in Abram. And he knew that it would take some time. You see, God knows our stories. God knows our stories. And most of our stories require some kind of journey to sort out. The sorting out process, of course, takes time, and sometimes it can feel a little bit isolating, even frustrating. But the promise is that you are not alone. No matter what it feels like, you are not alone. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You are not alone. Abram and Sarai tried another custom of the day. They used a surrogate. We know her name as Hagar. It was a common custom, one of another custom that could be used. And it worked, sort of. Ishmael was born, right? Abraham was his father. And That legacy, sadly, has created all kinds of problems that we're still hearing about in the news today. Literally. The enmity that exists between the legacy of those two brothers, Ishmael and Isaac. And scholars do speculate, although we don't know, that it could have actually delayed God's original plan for Abraham or Abram. We won't necessarily know that. It simply could have been God's plan to wait all along, to wait until that day uh, when Abraham was ready to see the promise revealed. After all, sometimes we just need to know that there's absolutely no other way other than what God can do in order to receive that kind of divine intervention. But finally, 
finally, when Abram is 99 years old. Just let that one sink in a little bit. He's 99 years old. 25 years. Some of you think back. What were you doing 25 years ago? 25 years ago. What were you doing? I'll give a pass to these guys down here. That's all right. That's a long time. I guess that's my point, right? That's a long time. God promises something, and he waits, and we try some things, and they fail, and we get a new promise, and God comes along, and he waits, and he waits, and 25 years later, well past anyone's normal age for becoming a parent, God speaks again. And this time, what does he do? He changes Abram's name. It certainly signifies a break with the moon cult, doesn't it? Doesn't it? But it also represents something else. See, Abraham means father of a multitude. Can you see how the name now relates to the promise that God made? He also changes Sarai's name, changes Sarai's name to Sarah. Both are meaning princess, but the changing of that name now signifies that God is their God and he's fully in charge. So fresh off that promise, and with the new name, Sarah conceives and she gives birth. She's 90, 90 years old, ladies, she's 90. I can't relate, but maybe you can, it's all right. God, in this case, was faithful. And God fulfilled his promise to Abraham to provide an heir. See, God's relationship to Abraham was a special, special relationship. And it reminds us that God knows who we are at our core. And he does what he does in his own time. Mostly for our sake. Mostly for our growth. Sometimes what is demanded of, of, of us requires us to go through some changes. But when he calls us, he's with us. We are offered the chance to respond. God's invitation to us involves a journey that cultivates trust and belief, yielding increased faith. God knows what we need when we need it. And he helps us form a new identity to get there. It's partly a personal change, but it's also very much a corporate identity. One that God relates to us as a community, not just as an individual. We are invited to be a part of a much bigger and broader family. Because the promise is about God and what He's doing for His people. And we become part of His plan. The picture that the New Testament gives us of this kind of relationship is Jesus as a shepherd. We being His sheep. It says that the sheep know the shepherd's voice and they trust Him. And He in turn calls them by name. The beautiful application for us is, first of all, that 
we can ask ourselves, are, are we even part of the pasture, right? Are we in that pasture and, and being called part of His flock? And, and if we are, are we listening? Are we listening? And if we're listening, are we trusting what we hear? Because He's a good shepherd. And if we are trusting and listening, are we responding in faith? You know, I got to thinking about it this week a little bit. Some of us find ourselves in that pasture, for sure. But we struggle to hear our name. Some of us really do struggle to trust Him. Because our journey has not been good. It's been hard. We struggle. What do you mean He knows me by name? Because I talk to Him all the time. I was having this conversation with my son last Sunday. He's like, I, I talk to him, but he doesn't talk back. What kind of a friend is that? Like, he was, he was legitimately asking the question. Like, in, when I have a friend, like, I'm texting somebody, they text me back, right? And when I'm in conversation with somebody, they talk to me. But, but sometimes I pray to God and he's not there. What's that about? How am I supposed to understand what that really looks like? And for some of us, that journey, that story of our lives has been filled with all kinds of pain and discomfort. And surely that makes this kind of word, this message this morning, a whole lot more difficult to hear. But I want you to know that there is hope this morning. He desires to make Himself known and understood. But we have to look in a lot of different ways. And we have to be patient and we have to get to know Him for who He is, not just who we want Him to be. Jesus also declared these, a few, these words a few chapters later in John. He says this, I have told you these things so that in Me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome The world. And I suspect that when you hear those words, you can receive them intellectually. But we struggle with them a little bit, kind of at that personal level. Because we sort of expect a little bit more of Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible where miracles abound and where God's presence is tangible and where the Holy Spirit shakes the foundations of rooms. That's who we want. That's who we want Jesus to be, isn't it? That's the God that I want serving me, right, and making my name great and doing things. That's, the, that's who I expect Jesus to be. But sometimes we, we forget that the Bible also tells us, and Paul tells us that he prayed over and over and over for something that plagued him his entire life and it never went away. We know it as his thorn in the flesh. That's Paul. Paul, the guy that they, they would bring people to and just stand in his... Well, that might have been Peter. But Peter and Paul, like these guys, they, they, they could do some things, right? You stand in the shadow, you bring a handkerchief and touch it. And it's just like, this is good, right? I get healed and God is, is doing some things for me. It's powerful. But God doesn't always answer our prayers. God doesn't always heal our situations. Does He cease to be God in those moments? I think it's important for us to remember that according to Scripture at least, at least is my understanding, there's only two people that I know of that have ever not died. That was, I think, Enoch and Elijah, right? 
you know the Bible, then maybe there's more, but there's a whole host of people that have actually died twice. That's kind of crazy. Lazarus and a whole bunch of other people that were raised when Jesus was raised. Like, there's a whole lot of people that have died twice. And, and there's only one person that I know of that, was ever, that ever died and came back and never died again. And his name was Jesus Christ. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Because in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Our hope is not rooted in what this life can offer us, but in who Jesus Christ is. So I hope you hear that this truth this morning is that Jesus knows us by name. He embraces you right where you are at. You cannot scare Him away. You are not alone. made me think of this song that some of you will know by Francesca Battistelli. I don't need my name in lights. I'm famous in my Father's eyes. Make no mistake, He knows my name. I'm not living for applause. I'm already so adored. It's all His stage. He knows my name. He knows my name. To be God's friend is to be known by name and to live in peace that you are someone special. Not just anyone, but truly, deeply, you are known by name. I want you to remember that for God, for the Hebrews, and many cultures for that matter, right up to this day, names have meaning. So when God calls you by name, you know that your name has significance to him. And since we are called by name, like Abraham, we have the opportunity to believe, to trust, to act in faith, and to watch what God will do. Maybe not just like that, but over time in our lives. And since he calls us friends, we need not fear nor take things into our own hands. That requires some faith. But God has proven himself throughout the pages of Scripture. That's why we study them. And he will prove himself faithful to you too. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward and they're going to give us a chance to just reflect for a few minutes. As we prepare our hearts to receive communion this morning to participate in that sacrament. We want to take a few minutes and respond to maybe what's stirred up in our hearts this morning. Maybe we've taken some things into our own hands and we need to give that back to the, to the Lord this morning and say, I'm sorry, I might have gotten ahead of you here, God, but I'm, I'm giving that back to you. Maybe we're waiting on a promise that God has given to us and, and we just don't know and we're getting frustrated and we're feeling isolated and, and we need to give that back to God and say, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, God. I'm, I'm going to trust. I'm going to do my best. Maybe we just don't really believe that He's on the other end of our prayers. Maybe we just don't have that sense deep down inside that God is who He says He is. We need this morning to be reminded that He is who He says He is. He knows us by name. 
And He's inviting us into the kind of relationship that will make it real. But we have to give ourselves to Him as He makes Himself more and more known to us. So wherever you find yourself today, I just pray that the power of the Spirit is just stirring in you that you just take some time to reflect on what that really means. Let the worship team minister to you right now.